I'm Phil Nikazisis, best-selling author of Have Laptop, Will Travel, and I'm with SoFlow Vegans. Thank you for listening to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. I'm your host and founder of SoFlow Vegans, Sean Russell. On today's show, we have Philip Nikosesis, the traveling vegan, on as our guest. Talk about his many travels, the link between disease and lifestyle, and step into controversial terrain as Phil shares his thoughts on being a conservative in a community dominated by liberals and his views on the pandemic. This episode is brought to you by Malonga Yerbamate. I've been a fan of Yerbamate for several years and discovered Malonga earlier this year. My personal favorite is their CBD-infused organic herba mate. The best part outside of the energy and focus that I receive is the fact that they are based in South Florida. As a thank you to our listeners, they're offering 15% off your purchase by using the code SOFLOW15 at checkout. Not only will you save some money, but each sale helps fund our organization so we can continue producing these episodes. Hey, everybody, welcome to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. I'm Sean Russell, founder of SoFlow Vegans. And today we have Phil Nicolsis on the podcast going by the traveling vegan. Welcome so much. Thank you so much. I, I feel I got chills right now because SoFlow, be, living down here in South Florida, I mean, you guys are the vegan mecca. I mean, you guys are, you're the, you're, you provoke, you provoked the veganism, the vegan movement down here, and besides Hippocrates Health Institute, which I'm sure we'll be able to discuss uh, today, you guys really put vegan on the map here in South Florida. So, I mean, I'm just, I just love, uh, love the work you do. And I, pre- I appreciate that. And right back at you, I mean, the, what you've been up to, the journeys you've gone on, the places you've seen, what you created to spread awareness for this movement. I am honored to be able to have this conversation with you so that our listeners and our community can experience it as well. And some may already be familiar with your with your journeys through the book that you have coming out. But before we get to all of that, because I want to make sure we get all the everything in, and there's a lot. Yes, there is. <laughs> tell us, we start off the podcast with the vegan origin story. This is a throwback to my time when I used to collect comic books. Origin story is always like the coolest thing, you know, to get the, the the basis of that individual. So what was your vegan origin? What is your vegan origin story? What are those seeds that were planted that got you onto this path? Well, seeds is actually the right metaphor. About 10 years ago, only nine miles from my downtown um, condo here, and I'm here at my office a block away in downtown West Palm Beach, right here on the waterfront is a place called Hippocrates Health Institute. And it is a nonprofit. Have you ever heard of it or been there? Yes, I've heard of Hippocrates. So it's it's the jewel of of the world, really. It's it's the hospital of the future. Um, It's a basically a a, a vegan school, people, a health and wellness center where people come from all over the world um, to to hopefully through empowering their own immune system through the power of raw living food. Halt, reverse, and resta- resolve chronic and catastrophic diseases. But not all people who go there for the three-week program, the life transformation program, are sick. There's two kinds of people there, sick and smart. 
And I was trying to be smart. So about 10 years ago, I went into the three-week program. My family thought I was crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like, and it's coming from a Greek American background, you know, we're eating lamb on Easter, right? <laughs> um, and and a lot of meat, dairy products and eggs. They thought I was nuts, but I I thought uh, I really had to clean up my act. I was getting into middle age, but really the first moment for me, the way I even found out about it was in yoga class. After the hot yoga class, right down here, Sean, there was a guy from the Institute handing out wheatgrass samples. Now, have you ever had a wheatgrass shot? Yes, I have. So I took my first sip of wheatgrass, which has 93 of the 104 minerals and vitamins found in soil, and it's 50% pro pre-digested protein. It's got uh, 18 grams of protein in just three ounces. It's the equivalent of like five pounds of food, this little shot, right? Five pounds mm -hmm. of, of vegetables. I took a sip, and all of a sudden, like my body went, whoa. It was like, you know, and I guess it's the Sistine Chapel with the hand of God, like touching touching Adam, I guess, or whoever that was, the human. It was like this this thing from the heavens came down and like tapped me on the shoulder when I had this wheatgrass. And I was like, what is this? And where is it from? He's like, well, we're right up the street at Hippocrates. Hippocrates. So that was my aha moment. And that was my start of my vegan journey, Sean. And I'm sure this, did you imagine like where you would go and what you would do in terms of being able, well, first of all, let's, you have the vegan journey, but let's talk about the book now. Because I feel the book, if we talk about the book at this particular moment, it will create the context for a lot of the other things that we're going to talk about. So let's go into the book and then I'll kind of tie it together with the veganism. Let's so, yeah. So, um, yeah. Tell us about the, the book that you, you currently have out. About three and a half years ago, I embarked on a, a uh, incredible, incredible modern day odyssey, an, inc an incredible voyage of self-discovery. And what I did is I joined a company that put together teams of, of digital nomads. I went digital nomad for a year where I ran my real estate company from my smartphone and laptop. And we signed up for a year. We paid them money to set up our apartments and our travel and our workspace. I was in like places like WeWork. And for the year, get this. I mean, it almost it's almost unthinkable today that you could do this. We traveled to 12 cities in 12 months to 10 countries on four continents mm. with 48 other people who were strangers on day one. And, and if I had to sum up what it's like to travel with 48 people you don't know on day one and you get to know them real quick, um, it's kind of like, uh, well, it is very much like a bizarre social experiment. Mm. And so about halfway through that, um, and actually, um, I will say that I use the platform of the remote year uh, 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 city, city team in each city up to I contacted the vegan groups off from Facebook in the cities that I was in. And in uh, that time and through other other opportunities, I've been in 13 countries. I've given dozens of lectures and presentations and even sprout workshops um, uh, sharing the vegan message. And uh, and then so six months into it, I was realizing, Sean, that I was having a uh, I was basically living probably, I don't know, 100 lifetimes into this one year. Mm -hmm. the, the way that it was going, the things that were happening, I committed to writing a memoir about this. And they say that writing a book 
is the closest that a man will ever come to childbirth. Mm. And, ha- and having no idea what that's like, I got to believe it was true because it was the hardest thing I ever did. And besides writing the book, after I wrote the book, you know, it's 300 pages. And now we have a second edition. I have a second edition coming out with 300, excuse me, 3,000 changes, a, f- a few extra pages, a few, uh, some extra pictures. Then I committed it to audiobooks in my own voice. If you if you find if you if you're into audiobooks, you'll notice that the author, the author usually makes a short introduction and then some actor takes over, right? Mm-hmm. Well, as a musician, I have a really nice recording studio in my home, and I I uh, I read the book in nine hours. It took nine hours to to read it through all the way, but it actually took a lot longer than that to 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 actually produce it, but you know, here we're going to talk about, I guess, for the next half an hour or so, or whatever it is, because uh, being a vegan, I, we don't believe in um, subjecting uh, harm to uh, unnecessary harm to sentient beings, right? So we're not going to yeah. spend nine hours talking about it. We're just doing 45 minutes or so, right? And so the book is really about uh, an incredible voyage of self-discovery, um, uh, broken down city by city. Each chapter is the city that I traveled in. Would you like to know where I traveled? Of course, of course. So real quickly, I'll just go through it. Um, The 12 months we had, first was Croatia, split Croatia on the Adriatic Sea. Then we went to Prague, Czech Republic, then Lisbon, Portugal. That's three months in Europe. Then we were three months in Asia, including uh, Kyoto, Japan, Mm. then um, Chiang Mai, Thailand, then Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. First time I was ever in a, a Muslim majority country, and I write about that and what it was like. I was actually pretty surprised, but also had some some experiences that uh, I kind of had. A, I write about this. I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, not having uh, because I had some preconceived notions. And that's really the interesting part about travel is it you learn that what you thought is not true necessarily. But uh, then after Asia, we went to uh, uh, six months in South America and North America, including Buenos Aires, Argentina, Cordoba, Argentina, two months in Argentina, mm-hmm. where I saw that the price of apples from one day to the, to the next would change because of their runaway inflation that they still have because of the policies that uh, their government pursued over decades that are actually our government's pursuing right now. We are. We and I get into it, and I think that's one of the interesting. Well, the things that you were interested to find out about me is that there's not too many conservative Republican vegans out there. Well, so uh, in the book, I I get into the deeper meaning of things and economics and politics, and so I talk a little bit about what Argentina is doing with their monetary and their fiscal policy that is driving their runaway inflation. Then after that, we went into uh, we went to Lima, Peru where I participated in a sacred plant ceremony known as ayahuasca. If you've ever heard of ayahuasca ceremony, a very powerful plant plant medicine that has some uh, beneficial uh, transformational healing pro- uh, properties. Have you heard of ayahuasca? Oh, yes, yes. Very, okay. very familiar with it. <laughs> yeah. And then after Lima, Peru, we spent two months, two months in Colombia, Bogota, Colombia, the capital. And Medellin, Colombia, which is the uh, city of eternal spring because it sits 5,000 feet up. And because of its height, every day is springtime. And I never, 
I mean, there's nothing like experiencing things. I'd never, ever considered, you know, they say an ounce of experience is worth more than a ton of theories. I'd never considered the idea that your height in relation to sea level actually governed the climate of where you live. And uh, so because of that, Medellin has the perfect climate at 5,000 feet. And then we uh, uh, finally, after uh, you know, that's months 10, 11, we adjourned in Ciudad de Mexico, uh, uh, Mexico City. And uh, all I remember is the last night my roommates had left. They'd become my brothers at that point. You know, I, I had, we, I still have a, a core of, I'm going to say five guys that, I mean, just imagine as a, as a grown adult, especially my age, 53 years old, as 50 and one at that time, just the bonding experience. You, you'll get a feel for it in the book. And, you know, the there's peoples whose lives were saved and people who just different experiences you go through. But all I can think of was the last night I'm packing, which means I just dumping everything into my luggage this time. When I started out the trip, I would fold things and take care and then make it nice and tight. No, just take the dirty laundry, the, the dirty clothes, the clean clothes, just shove it in and hope that closes. And then that's that's how we pack. That's how I pack by the end of it all. All I can think of it at the end was I did it. Mm. 12 countries, 12 cities, excuse me, 12 cities, 10 countries, four continents with 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 a traveling family that became the Tramley. And uh, and it'll take me probably entire lifetime to make sense of of it all. Um, and, you know, I'm still unpacking. I'm still unpacking, you know, the 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 experiences and the meaning of the trip. And, that, and that's fascinating, especially now where a lot of people can't don't even have the option to travel, you know, especially the way that you did. You, you got it in just the right time. I know I, we, we talk about that a lot. And, you know. That's actually an idea for a follow-up. I have the second edition, um, which is live on Amazon right now, but an idea. And I think that this, because of the the positive reception that I've had with you know very little or no marketing, I've sold thousands of copies, Sean, of this book. And so this Have Laptop Will Travel, I feel, has become a brand. So I have, when you talk about not being able to travel freely anymore because obviously what's been going on my idea for a follow-up book would be have laptop and then right here cross it out uh, have laptop can't travel and mm -hmm. it's it's the idea is and i've talked to some people i have people lined up it'll be a collection of essays about civil liberties and about how our civil liberties have been stolen um in a in a you know what they call a pandemic and from what I understand, we're in we're in the situation of an endemic, which is the the pandemic is on the way out. But uh, you know, we all know people. I, I had COVID. I had some you know pretty substantial symptoms. It really kicked my butt. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. My dad is in his eighties. He had it. He was in the hospital. Like I get it. But are we? Uh, we seem to be willing as as societies to be willing to change the arc of human history um, in a totalitarian, totalitarian way. And, uh, and I'm, and I'm for one, I'm standing up against that. We have these, you know, if you're vegan, that's the thing. Let's, let's get into the political. Are you ready? Let's talk about the vaccines. Are let's you ready? Now? Let's do it. Okay. The majority of Democrats want to like want to, or insist 
that everybody should get the vaccine. And the, and there's 25% of, of the, actually, a, is it 25? No, it's 25% of the Republicans who are a hard stop, hard no against the vaccines. And I, and I happen to be one of them um, because I've been reading books that have been banned. I've been following people that, that, uh, that are um, bringing up facts and information through history. Um, and so right then and there, you've got a situation where, um, you know, if you're, if you're a vegan, I don't see how you could even think about taking the vaccine. First of all, most vaccines are not vegan because they have animal, animal parts in them. And in many cases, including coronavirus vaccines, they have aborted human parts. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. And of course they don't tell you these things. Um, and as as vegans, so that's the ethical part. But one thing we learned at Hippocrates Health Institute, where I've been through 11 weeks of programs, including the health educator uh, certification that inspired me so much that I wanted to share the vegan message around the world. The thing, the basic, the basic thing, I mean, you can read, you've heard of the China study, right? Correct. You've heard of, you know, Michael Greger has, has How Not to Die. He's got his follow-up books. There's so much science behind this stuff. Um, it's kind of boring, actually, because it all says the same thing. You know what it says? It says, all health centers around the immune system, therefore eat plants. It says, all health centers around the immune system, therefore eat plants. It says, it says, uh, what's the other, oh, uh, what's the other thing that it says? <laughs> it says do the things that are good for you don't do the things that are bad for you therefore eat plants so nowhere in this discussion as as vegans we as, as vegans we're we're in it for first our own health is 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 really the side door and the front door is because we want to live in an ethical society there's no way we can have a society where we treat each other well as long as there's violence required by our food choices but all health centers around the immune system, therefore eat plants. I don't see that anywhere in the in the national discussion, do you? No, no, I do and, not. And we know that the difference between, you know, if you're under 70, you have a 99.7 or 8, 9% chance. You basically, I'm going to call it 100% chance of surviving COVID-19. And... So we should be, and the difference between the people who get it really bad or are hospitalized, those people, for different reasons, um, not really hereditary, because families don't share, don't just share genes, they share a menu, right? Mm -hmm. They don't just share their genetics, they share a lifestyle. They, the reason why when you go to the doctor, they ask you, to, what diseases do your parents have or your relatives is because they live the same lifestyle that you do. So- we know that, for example, vitamin D3 is the master key to the immune system. But these CDC people and this Dr. Fauci guy, I've never heard him even remotely address the, ro the role of boosting your own immune system. Have you? I mean, but I also think that's across the board. I mean, I think that the conversation, even before COVID-19, you know, rarely are we looking at what we put into our bodies in terms of the food, you know, let food, what's the quote, let food be thy medicine or I, I right. be. so let food know, be thy medicine, let medicine be thy food, which is why 
they call it Hippocrates Health Institute, where they have the three-week program and where uh, I also got the health educator certificate. So what, so let's, let's, let's dig into this a little bit. So the what, do you, what do you feel is, and I think by now people, people are firmly established in terms of like where your political leanings are right now. So I'd rather just focus more so on the topics because that's one of the reasons why I've, I identify as independent because I feel like mm-hmm. there's just too much identity politics on both sides. Yeah. Whereas we get to come together and figure out how do we solve problems that are impacting us on an mm-hmm. individual level. And then also look at the fact that we are all one community and we get to figure out how we can lift each other up by first lifting ourselves up. Mm-hmm. That's how I see the world. And I'm open to being wrong. I'm open to having conversations just like this to come from a place of understanding where you're coming from. So that, cause a lot of times that I have a lot of um, friends mm-hmm. who are on both sides. I have family members that are on both sides. And one of the things that I resent um, from either side is anyone telling me how I should, how I should think, feel, or act. I'm grounded in what I'm creating for this world. And I get to connect with people that are around me and share my ideals. And I consider you one of those individuals <laughs> because we have the concept of, you know, doing no harm to animals and veganism and everything that we're talking about now in this podcast. And we'll continue to talk about in this podcast. I feel like we get to have those conversations I'm from a place of love because I'm compassionate over everything. You ask me why I'm vegan, I'm vegan for compassion. So I just said all that so I don't have to wow. say it again later in the podcast. I um, wish I, I wish I, well, this is going to be recorded. So I, I want to listen <laughs> to that over and over again because that, sir, is the voice of a beautiful soul. Thank you. Because everyone needs to hear that. That's fantastic. I don't so, even need to speak anymore. no but now but now now we get to have a conversation you know i get to have a conversation with you because we have that commonality of spreading the vegan message and we get to do it because i have so many friends and acquaintances that are republican but that but you wouldn't know it because you know there there's a stigma especially in the vegan community when it comes to that and for us to move this movement forward, we get to figure out how to address these issues in a way that's inclusive to everyone. At the same time, and this goes both sides, we get to extend compassion to that person that's across right. from us and deliver a message in a way that's impactful, not just a message that, you know, gets something off of your chest. Well, very well said. I mean, I, I think, you know, compassion is a uh... That's a, that's a big word that, that has, for, for me, I, I think I'd, t- I'd like to say how, what it means for me is that we are all wounded. Let's, let's like, let's draw the, the scope back. And from my perspective, I can say that we are all wounded because we're born into a society that says we need to eat animals and eat their, <clears throat> eat their byproducts and their secretions for 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 what to be healthy and strong that's what we were taught mm-hmm. and then in Sunday school I mean I identify as a Christian and uh, so I'm not knocking it but I think people would identify that in Sunday school we were taught that animals have no soul and that's okay to eat them and so we're all wounded and even so when you when I when you say compassion when I'm when I'm talking to non-vegans and I like to joke that they're you know if they have a companion animal, a lot of times when I've been speaking, I'll say, how many people have a companion animal? And people raise their hand. And I say, well, 
you love your dog. You know, when you look into your dog's eyes, there's someone in there. Mm. People will go, I said, well, congratulations. You're a pre-vegan. You're on your way. And all we have to do is expand. You have to expand your circle, your sphere, your sphere of compassion to include the land animals and the, and the marine animals, cows, pigs, chicken, and fish. And then you're, you're on your way. So whether we're on the left or the right, um, we, we, we're starting out kind of at a, at a, at a deficit point in our society where, and so never do I want to ever feel like as a vegan, you know, I'm a vegan, look at me and I'm, you know, looking down at you mm. as a non-vegan because you know what, they're, they're walking around for the most part. And I almost wish I was like that because once, once you realize what the, the, the this evil killing machine that is animal agriculture, you realize you're, and you, you know, you see these documentaries, you seen this new one, C Seaspiracy? Yes, yes. I mean, holy cow. I mean, I, I know people that will not watch it because that's their last, like, fish, a piece of seafood is like the last thing that they, they're holding on to. Yes, <laughs> yes. Your, your smile is great. They're, they just, they won't see it because they, it's just, it's going to take away that last day. They know, they know it is a, you know, it, they know it's well. I call it as like a satanic system. This animal agriculture—it's an evil system. Luciferian is when you do it when you revolt against God's plan, but satanic is this just large system. You couldn't if if fiction writers mm. had to design the most or si evil scientists had designed the most evil system in the world where the whole world is organized around it. Let's face it: the whole world's organized around eating animals. It's this giant killing machine and it touches and destroys, it, it destroys, excuse me, everything that it touches. And we'll get back into the politics for a minute, but let me, <laughs> let me flesh this part out. It destroys the five aspects of human health. That's what I wanted to uh, come up, uh, uh, re uh, refer to earlier, which is our physical health. I mean, obviously, I mean, it's almost boring and redundant to say that, you know, Plant agriculture, plant uh, whole foods, you know, solves more problems, health problems than all um, the pills and procedures combined. And that that animal foods is destructive to our health, but then also our mental health, because we're denying, we're in a state of denial, and and it it, it um, eating animals hurts our mental health, but also our spiritual health. How can we celebrate Easter, which we just did, right? Mm -hmm. How can we celebrate the resurrection by eating? by killing and eating dead animals. And, and also if you look at the world's original, the, the original teachings of the world religions, where veganism is basically the theme of all the world's major religions, but then you also have society. The institution of war was created over the fight over animals. And then when you went to war and you weren't killed and you, and you, then you became what property of the victors, you became slaves. So the two institutions, Mm. that are bad that are that have that you know have spilled blood and caused caused so much pain and hardship for the human condition is our war and slavery which are a product of animal agriculture and finally you have the environmental and as a republican and so i want to get into that too i want to talk about the word republican but let me finish the part about the environmentalism and republican i'm not an environmentalist i'm very comfortable having studied veganism and animal agriculture and the impact that it has on the environment, I consider myself a conservationist. And there's a big difference. 
there's a big difference. Uh, you know, the Magna Carta from seven, I'm going to say 700 years ago, gave England, English people, the rights over the king, no matter what the king said, like they had these rights. And, and our, our system is really based on property rights. And so environmental environmentalism is really the new home of socialism, where they basically say you can't do anything because you're going to destroy the environment. Here's the thing, though. Cause and effect is very, very hard to prove. So this whole idea of global warming, um, you know, I'm I'm a dive master. I've got 750 log dives around the world and I've, I've, I have the highest credential for a scuba diver. And so we study and we use mixed gases. And so we know from the atmosphere that the earth is the atmosphere that we breathe is 20.9% oxygen and 79% um, nitrogen and 0.01 other. And part of that 01 other is carbon. And there's, there's so much carbon, they say, that's been put into the atmosphere. It's not enough to even come close to doing anything. If you look into the science, not the religion of environmentalism, you look into the science, carbon dioxide is the lifeblood of the planet, is not the on and off switch or the thermostat for the world's temperature. They really actually are starting to figure out it's the patterns of the sun and the, and the slight rotation uh, uh, modification of the Earth's axis. So the thing is, we don't need to, I probably lost half your audience right now. <laughs> oh, it's not into global warming. Like That's the thing. Science, science is confrontational and it's rigorous. If you think it's settled, if people think it's settled, well, they're just not being honest with themselves. And I'm not going to apologize if they're not willing to read. Okay. Because if you read into things, you read, like you said, you're, you're open-minded for both sides. You don't even need to hang your hat on global warming. Like I said, I'm a conservationist and animal agriculture is absolutely destructive to converse, con conservation and it's not sustainable. So back to the Republican thing, I'm Republican party is actually a, a big tent and I'm more of a populist nationalist type guy. Um, I'm not just into profit. You know, people have this idea of Republicans of just being out for the money. Um, I'm into, uh, first of all, voluntary exchange. Voluntary exchange instead of being forced to buy a product like, uh, you know, like healthcare or something like that. I'm into voluntary exchange because voluntary exchange, free market capitalism has done more to bring over a billion people out of poverty more than than anything, any promise that an egalitarian dictator or any well-meaning politician has has ever done. And I feel philosophically like I think you do is that even though I believe in the free market, I, I'm more of a populist because we have to have a system where everyone feels like they have a piece of the action at all levels, every guy and, and to their God-given ability. And we're not all going to have the same outcomes. I think that's where people fall off or, or they fall short for me is we can't have the same outcomes. We have to have the freedom to have different levels and different stations in life. But everyone has to feel, from my perspective, like they've got a piece of the action, but more, more, here's why I'm vegan and Republican populist nationalist, because I believe in personal responsibility. Doctors and hospitals are the third leading, leading cause of death by people against people because of accidents and bad treatment. So no one's looking out for you and me, but me and you, like mm -hmm. we are the doctor. So I believe in personal responsibility I believe, I mean, what, 
what Republican is against bad health or Democrat really? What Republican is, is you know, well, there's a lot of Republicans for war, but because I'm a, I also have a little sprinkle of libertarian, I'm a non-interventionalist libertarian. That's also in the Republican Party. So I, I was against the Iraq war from way back when. I never liked it and I kind of get went along with it, but I always thought it was a bad idea. And so, you know, I'm one of those conservatives that's against violence because uh, it's called non-interventionalism. It's it's part of the Republican. It's just one of our little groups of Republicans over here. OK, and uh, and I'm a conservationist. But most of all, it really starts with veganism to me is about personal sovereignty, taking responsibility when it comes to vaccines. There's nothing more sacred than your blood. There's nothing more sacred than the blood of a child. And unfortunately, most pe- most Democrats or people on the left are for a you know forced medical procedure such as a vaccination. And uh, so that's I guess that's why I'm Republican and vegan. So, and I, I touched on this a little bit earlier. For me, it's you know just looking at the conflict between both sides, and it's not even unique to the United States of America. Correct. You know, we're, yeah. we're actually forced. It's, it's right in here that you get a lot of what people are dealing with politically around the world in my book. You know, I mean, I've, I've watched a couple of Vice episodes where in the Philippines, you know, you can get murdered, you know, by the government. You know, there's so many things that are going on. Um, so I, I'm I'm grateful for that. And at the same time, I feel like we get to be an example of um, of how we can come together and and create harmony amongst all of people. And I feel and I feel like when we've seen glimpses of that potentially happening, it's been snuffed out and almost a deterrent for other people potentially focusing less on identity. And because that's my big thing. That's my that's where I put my hat on. It's like I feel like we get to move past the idea of I'm Republican, I'm Democrat. And we get to just look at what is important to me in terms of you know what's impacting me and my family. What's what are the roadblocks that are in my way of living the life, my best life, where I can support my family, I can support my community, and then extend from there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those issues are lost in finger pointing. And those issues are lost in our ability to say, okay, what can what do we agree on? And I'm sure, and one of the things I want to talk about a little bit earlier mm-hmm. is that even I've heard, uh, and some might think is like oxymoronic or what have you, um, our contradiction, would I be a better term, of hunters being against factory farming. <laughs> and, and, and I say that only to the fact of there are issues out there that can, that we all agree on. But then when you start lumping in a lot of other things that are non-starters and, and, and people listening, you know, you probably know a few off the top of your head that it's going to take a long time before we can come to a conclusion on some of these topics. I feel like we would gain so much more traction and it would be a good faith gesture across the aisle for us to focus on those issues that we can um, add, mm-hmm. we can um, um, affect change. Um, so... That's where I that's where I sit and I in terms of of where I feel the next step is for us. It's obviously we you know right now the way the system's set up, we're not going to get to a point where we as of right now, I'm have hope for the future, where we're gonna get rid of 
the political system and just focus on issues because I'll just be super messy. Um, but I feel like in the community level, those could be ways that we can get started. Wow. So you said a lot there, and I don't think there's anything I could disagree with. I mean, um, you know, one thing that just stuck out right at the end about local communities. I mean, that's really where we can make a, a big, that's like where we live. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, these local veg fests are, have, have made a, a huge impact. I mean, you're, you, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons I believe in a, a, a smaller federal government. I mean, we had a system designed that federalism is designed to, it's just, it's mind blowing with all the civil unrest going on that the, the national guard can't go into a state unless the governor says it's okay. I mean, think about how limiting that is to federal power. So we are blessed that we, we, we have a lot to work with in this country. And, uh, you know, we're getting, I guess we're not talking specifically about veganism right now, but I, you know, it's going to get better. And I, like you said, you have hope. One thing I learned from Bryant Clement, the director at Hippocrates, he said, there's no, he likes to say it a lot. There's no such thing as false hope. Mm. And he deals with stage, stage four cancer. People roll in there every day, hoping that three weeks of raw food, sprouts, wheatgrass and, uh, uh, sprout juice and, uh, and sprouts, and no processed food and no sugar and no caffeine and no alcohol and no all the things I, I sort of like, um, you know, are, are it's going to help their body, you know, help people help themselves. And like I said at the beginning of this broadcast, all health centers around the immune system, therefore eat plants. Yeah. And, you know, and <laughs> I just, I just, I just love these sort of conversations because I feel like it's, it's, it impacts the entire world. Even if you're not vegan, you know, we get to look at, we get to break down the fundamentals of connection. You know, how are we connecting? How are we, cause that's, you know, SoFlo is all about making South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. And that's not just for, that's not just for vegans because veganism is for everybody. So right. it's, it's creating that platform where if you do decide to go vegan, you know where to go. You know where the meetups are. You know where there's a vegan Republican group, you know, you can go to. You know, there's there's so many different aspects to it. And it's also part of that misconception that I'm sure that you've experienced, especially when you've stepped into veganism, um, of what a vegan looks like. If you were to have somebody draw a picture of a vegan or describe a vegan, you'd probably have an activist, you know, throwing paint on somebody. And and I'm not I'm and and I'm saying that only because that's part of the yeah. community, just like part of, you know, we're talking about it, the Democrat community yeah. is this, the part of the Republican has these aspects of it. We get to look at these are individuals who are have this concept in their head of what the world should be. And that's what right. they're living into. So a couple that, things. Sorry. I'm sorry, Sean. No, you're I good. Had, no, you're I good. Had, I had uh, some coffee today. I've been actually trying to go down on the coffee and I'm, plus it's a very stimulating talk. Um, you know, one thing about, one thing about these, the vegans they're you know, I'll call them the, I'll call them the glow in the dark vegans, you know, like they, they wake, they discover like this, they're, what they were doing themselves, they see the, like, the massive killing machine and they just want to grab people and shake them. And, you know, you know, you got to be vegan. And what's the first thing you're going to try to do if, 
if someone tries to change you. You're going to say, no, I, you know, I don't need to be changed. So, so actually, I learned from one of my mentors uh, is Dr. Will Tuttle, who wrote The World Peace Diet. And he, he and I actually had been through eight, eight of those 13 countries were, were with him on the World Peace Diet speaking tour. And I was fortunate enough to, to join him. And so he, when he talks about, uh, you know, people throwing paint, like you said, um, he says, I would just say one thing. People want to uh, ask you, why are you vegan? Or if you want to tell people why you're vegan, he says the following. And, and I hope that everyone here can listen because it's, it's, it actually seems to resonate. He says, I'm so glad that the reason I discovered I was eating animal foods all those years is because I realized I was just following orders. And I realize now that following those orders were not in my best interest or in the best interest of the world. And so I'm not doing it anymore. And it's fantastic. Just say like that and just cut it off. And it's hopefully it plants that not just a seed, but really like a depth charge that goes down in here somewhere. And eventually someday they'll realize that they were following orders when they were eating animal foods all those years. They're not doing it anymore. And it's fantastic. And it's going to come back out and they won't even remember that you, you said that to them. And I just always thought that was the most beautiful thing. And uh, I see you smiling. So I think you, you kind of resonates a little bit with you too. And hopefully with those who are watching and listening to this broadcast. And, and I've had some conversations. We're actually going to release a series of videos or audio um, of vegan origin stories because there's a lot of gems okay. in the, in the yeah. history of us doing the podcast. Um, one of the things I heard recently was that someone was waiting for permission to go vegan. I think, was, I think it was Elizabeth Alfano who said it. She mm -hmm. was waiting for permission to go vegan. And when she saw someone in her family or someone that was close to said they're going to go vegan, it was like, okay, awesome. So there's so many different things. So many little things like that. Someone's up against it with a catastrophic disease. Somebody just said, let's do it. And they're like, okay. Like, and then everything in between, it's like, you know, and that's, listen, that's the beautiful thing about our humanity. Um, life is an adventure and um, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. We know that. And, um, you know, back to my book, which, you know, I don't necessarily need to over promote or whatever, but my, my whole point of, of writing this memoir as I traveled around the world was not to show off and say, look at me and all these cool things that I'm doing. It was hopefully to inspire people to make a cape life, a C-A-P-E life, celebratory, adventurous, purposeful, and extraordinary. Because like the animals, the animals actually were put here. I mean, people are still have these these mythologies that they're, you know, since they were kids, that the animals were put here for us to eat. But the animals actually were created by the the dream of our creator, dreamed it into existence to live cel celebratory and purposeful lives. And as a scuba diver, scuba diver, I've been to 18 places around the world, hundreds of log dives. Half of them are right here um, in the um, Palm Beach County in the ocean. And I mean, the symphony of all the, the tropical fish, the tropicals and the eels and the lobsters and the big animals, the sharks and the turtles and the corals, the symphony of life that's going on there. Um, it's just it's celebratory and purposeful. That's the only that's like the best way to describe it. And that's really hopefully, you know, veganism really is love. It's mm -hmm. just if you bo it boil it down to one one word, 
it would be love and and we don't we're not condescending we're not saying we're bet we're not saying we're better we're just saying we're we're just being ourselves that's and that's the invitation and and then i want to i want to touch on the travels a little bit but i do want to close off this particular segment of our conversation with going back into compassion um so for me and we talked about you know activists and you know the perception of vegan and this when I practice in my practice of compassion, I also am understanding where they're coming from. I'm understanding where people eat me coming from. I'm always coming from a place of understanding instead of judgment, because because in that I'm able to learn. I'm able to learn how to be a better communicator because, you know, from my my history, my history, my background, 26 plus years has been in communication in multiple forms, working for plenty of organizations. I just made a conscious decision in 2017 to only work for myself, to com- go completely and focus on the things that I'm passionate about. Has it been a, a bumpy up and down road? Yes. And I love it because that just makes, that just builds my character and kind of reinforces right. something unique that I get to bring to the world that no one else gets to bring. And um, I get to share that before I, before I go to my next journey, um, whatever that is. So um, I'm saying this really for people listening out there. It's, it's 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 for me what supports me and hopefully it will support you is being open to hear somebody out and being mindful to come from a place of understanding rather than a place of judgment not listening for your not listening with the bias of okay this person's wrong let me wait for them to say that one wrong thing so i can jump on them right and i promise you you have enough of those conversations where you give that person the, that room to say what's on their mind, whether you feel it's right or wrong, you're going to learn something. You're going to learn how to communicate to someone who may be thinking that way to get your message across. And, and that right there is a powerful tool we all could have in our back pockets when we're advocating for this lifestyle. That's, uh, that's great. Um, I'm right there with you, man. Um, we're, we're, I like to think we're in, a, in this army of love. You know? So shoulder so, to the wheel, shoulder to the wheel, <laughs> army of love. And, uh, you know, that's the thing, like to, to, to extend what you're saying and, and, and the activists, they want to shut down the slaughterhouses. And, you know, I use the example of marijuana, you know, marijuana was illegal for a long, you know, for a long, long time up until very recently. And the reason why it became legal, broadly speaking, is because the attitude of the society changed. So if we can continue our advocacy in the right way, with especially with the way you're doing it institutionally, we can continue our advocacy. Guess what? The, ad- the attitudes of the society will change, I think, within our lifetime. So then mm-hmm. people will actually say, hell no, like we would never tolerate a slaughterhouse. Like that's just insane. Because we have all these other alternatives now and we we know this or we know that or like when the attitudes of society will change and the laws will change. And I think that's that's where it's going to go. I love it. I love it. And um, and but what I want to touch on now and is dealing with your travels. OK, because I, I haven't I haven't traveled as as much as you, but the little bit of traveling and things that I've been able to do in my life. I know there's some times where I'm in my, I'm on my home right now. And it's kind of like, 
<laughs> you know, kind of, you know, just kind of hit that. So with all the adventures that you've had, like, how are you, how are you adjusting to, and I'm making wide and vast assumptions right now that you're not traveling as much as you were. I'm not. Okay. Truth be told, I'm not. <laughs> so yeah. do you have like that itch or like kind of like take me through kind of like where you are right now, having had such so many great adventures? Gosh, gosh. In chapter 12, I was worried about, gosh, you know, am I going to be bored? Because I'd really become addicted. Like we get this memo in remote ear, like the last week, you know, like here's our travel plans. Like here's where you have to meet. This is our, your new apartment. This is your new workspace office. You know, these are the details. And you, it just, be, you, you actually, it was a thrill. You can imagine, right? 12 mm -hmm. cities, 12 months. And then that didn't happen. So here we are in South Florida. You know, you live here too. Um, I got a pretty good setup here. Um, I've got a wonderful, my parents are here locally, locally. And, uh, you know, I'm in a, I think it's fair to say I'm in a different stage of my life. Um, when the pandemic hit, you know, that was a, that was a downer. And then when I realized I wasn't going to lose my business, actually, that there are opportunities that actually have been able to thank God thrive and the future is looking better than ever. I'm really, I shifted to answer your question directly. I shifted from gallivanting around the world and trying to, you know, basically keep my business on autopilot, which I spent 25 years building up. I mean, it wasn't always like, oh, let's just run off here and not worry about things. You understand, right? Mm -hmm. I've spent 25 years building up my my commercial real estate business. And um, uh, so this time around, um, you know, you can't go to any country. You can only go to Mexico, maybe. And, you know, I've been there many times. And um, I'm really, really, I got my shoulder to the wheel in my commercial real estate business right now. And I feel like I, my life's always been that way. Um, I've, you know, I have a, a music catalog with universal records. My, my music played in 50 countries last month for television, movies, and radio. Um, and I'll go through, I'll go maybe two years without writing anything. And so then, and right now I'm starting that up again. So it's like, I always, I'm, I'm a zigger and a zagger. Me personally, that's just my my way. And so I did the travel thing for a while. I know, you know, Lord willing, as long as I've, I'm here on this earth, I know that it'll I'll get back into it. And right now I'm sitting here in my my office here in, in downtown West Palm Beach on the waterfront. Um, you know, um, I've got like 10 phone calls to return since I've been on with you. I see the 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 uh, the marquee you know, indicating to me and, and, and guess what? That's, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And that's just part of, part of life's journey and part of life's adventure. I, I got married three months ago first time ever. And, uh, from a young lady that I met in Asia when I was traveling there and we had a, a three, almost like a three year, uh, long distance romance. And then this time she came in the middle of COVID and, uh, almost didn't make it. Um, mm -hmm. She got stranded in the airport of Doha because Dallas, that day, that supervisor decided he didn't want anybody to come into the country. Like it was a very um, idiosyncratic, flippant decision on, you know, and uh, I, I actually got I was able to get his personal extension and talk to him and begged him. And he hung up on me the first time. Mm -hmm. So the moral of that story is there's no substitute for persistence. You know, there's, there's no, so yeah. And she came here on a six month visa and, 
um, in the six months, I, I was either probably say goodbye to her forever as the code, like Thailand is just crazy locked down still. There's all kinds of rules to get back in. Um, and, uh, I just, I wasn't going to let her go and never see her again. And I, I know I made the right, besides vegan, it was the best choice I ever made was to marry my wife. So. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Um, and, and I guess we'll, we'll close on this, uh, this note. One thing that I, oh, oh no, actually we're not going to close on this. Cause I do want to talk a little bit about your music. I okay. did have to talk about your music. Cause I, I had a whole past life in the music and similar oh, wow. to you, I'm, I'm getting back into it. Like I, I, um, did a lot of similar, like what I'm doing with Soulful Vegans, but I did it in the alternative rock EDM hip hop space. Wow. So I had the good fortune of, you know, traveling the country, you know, going backstage, interviewing over 300 artists. Um, it, it was it was a great opportunity. It built up a lot of the production skills that I have now that I'm able to use through SoFlo Vegan. So, wow. um, but and then I also made music as well. So I'm going to start getting into DJing and everything. But so anytime I hear somebody does has music, um, deals in music, it fascinates me because it just activates so many different parts of your brain and your personality to be in the music space, especially to have the patience and tolerance with a lot of people in this industry. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that, um, about your, your musical background. Yeah. So, um, my music you can find and, uh, on YouTube under Phil Nico. And I, I do mostly originals, but, uh, I did a cover, a modern day beefed up rock cover of hot child in the city. If you remember that cover from the seventies or that song from the seventies, Hot Child in the City by Nick Gilder. So you can go to YouTube, Hot Child in the City by Phil Nico, N-I-C-O. And um, um, I play, started playing guitar at 10 years old. Mm. My parents had, didn't know that they, they screwed up, that their, you know, that their basement would always be um, noisy. And you know, by 12, I had an electric guitar. I had taken guitar lessons. I was learning Kiss songs and Aerosmith and Jimi Hendrix. That's, that's my my foundation, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, my jam. And so after being in bands all my life, I mean, they were two, three year stretch. 10 years ago in South Florida, I was in a classic rock cover band as a lead guitar player. I play guitar, but I can also play bass and I'm an okay drummer. I know. And, uh, but I know how to, and I'm an okay keyboard player, but I know how to use the studio and I know how to produce. And I also sing. Wow. And so my music catalog is uh, either on, uh, it's on iTunes under Phil Nico, Reverb Nation on Phil Nico. And, uh, um, and then I also have, uh, uh, I'm on Universal Records under that name, Phil Nico, but um, nothing that's really like commercially popular, but they use my, my heavy metal instrumentals and also my acoustic instrumentals for television, movies, and radio and like i said my music typically uh, um in a month plays around the world in 50 countries and i always like to say i'm big in japan actually i'm big in south korea that seems to be where uh, the last couple months my instrumentals seem to be playing a lot and uh it's a lot of fun it's but you know i always kept my day job and my parents my parents i grew up in an entrepreneurial family my first career was in the floor covering business my dad had a chain of carpet stores and he had 200 employees in Pennsylvania, 200. And at 10 years old, I was caught ringing doorbells. And so my and my short career as a juvenile delinquent um, was over. 
And as my punishment, my dad threw me in the warehouse of the main store in Lancaster, PA, where I learned to receive trucks and, uh, you know, reconcile manifests with the merchandise. And by 11, I was actually driving the forklift with the pole that picks up the carpet. Oh, wow. And then through high school, I was uh, like a floor tech. And then I got into sales and I went to college. I came back. I opened a couple of stores. Then I was on TV as a pitch man with my dad. So I guess I've had a, um, uh, I've had a, a background. So yeah, I always did music, but my parents were were um, always trying to, you know, not emphasize that they wanted me to go into business. But then when I be, got into business and I had more time and more freedom um, with some success in business, I got more serious into it. And then I had, you know, I was able to build a studio. I was able to buy, I have a collection of Gibson Les Pauls. You know, they say that guitar collecting is, is the Western hemisphere's answer to polygamy. Mm. We can't, we can't, you know, have more than one wife, but we, we sure as hell can collect guitars. So, um, I love Gibson Les Pauls. Uh, have you heard of the Les Paul brand? You've obviously heard of Les Paul, right? The yes. yes. Guitar. And I like them. I like the heavier, the better. The knock, they have, the knock on Les Halls, especially to to gig with them, is they're they're so heavy. They're like, but I like I like them real heavy because they sound they they sound better. And uh, yeah, so that's my music. And right now, um, I'm doing I'm doing more covers. So right now, I'm doing. I just finished Ebony Eyes, a song called Ebony Eyes uh, from the '70s. And then um, there was a what's the one I'm doing now? Um, so do you remember Ebony Eyes? Your eyes got me dreaming. Your eyes got me blind. I got to look it up. This is <laughs> See, the thing is, without the right software, I can't sing. Okay, that's what you're <laughs> learning about it. So there you go. <laughs> well, I'm music. Well, that's that's fascinating, and it's cool that you have all these different things going on, and that you've you've lived this full life. You've been able to you know, go after what you're looking for, looking to do in your life. And um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and then in closing the podcast, what I like to do with all of our guests is give them the floor to say whatever is on their heart to our community. This is your chance. It doesn't even have to be necessarily anything we talked about, just whatever you want, message you want to give to our community. Um, the floor is yours. So it's actually... Thank you so much for that question. And I had something popped into my head that's that's real and true to me. But first, thank you so much for having me on the broadcast. And thank you so much for what you're doing with your advocacy to to change hearts and minds, uh, to promote the and share the vegan message. So, gosh, in the last year or so, I've been wishing everybody well, peace and love. And what I mean by that is. Instead of road rage, like 10, 20 years ago, if somebody cut me off, I might have had a road rage. But now I feel I, I, I wish them well. I go to the grocery store. I walk past the clerk. I'm like, gosh, I hope they have a good day. And, um, and if you start trying, <laughs> you start trying. It sounds really corny, right? You start trying it or doing it. Your life, all of a sudden, you're just happy for everybody. And uh, um. One one thing I <laughs> a bad habit I have is I leave my keys in the car no matter where I go, and my it freaks my parents out. It freaks every, like my family out, and I think to my and I say to them, you know what? If that person really needs my car, 
then they can have my car. Mm. Now, of course, I don't really, of course, I would file an insurance claim and I don't really mean it, but actually on a certain level, I really do mean it. And I just, I just want to, I hope that whatever I'm doing here on the short, this short time on this earth, you know, we're only here for a short time, whether we live our genetic potential of 120 years or just a few decades, we're here for a short time. And I just hope that, uh, uh, you know, through this life I'm leaving, living, that I can inspire others so that they can live a life that's celebratory, adventurous, purposeful, and extraordinary, a cape life. Thank you, Sean. We want to thank Philip Nikosisis, the traveling vegan, for being a guest on our show. Our next episode will be the last of this season. So be sure to tune in for our interview with the no meat athlete, Matt Frazier. We are also already several episodes into season seven that officially launches October 6th, and we're so excited. Our first guest is Josie Clemens, who was the first vegan contestant on Hell's Kitchen with Chef Gordon Ramsay. And guess what? Our second episode features Chef Emily Hirsch, who is also a plant-based contestant on their most recent season. So an exciting way to kick it off. And then we have more episodes in the works. And guess what? It is so exciting because you can listen to several episodes for season seven right now. And the way you do that is by becoming a member of SoFlow Vegans and it's 100% free. Now you can always upgrade your membership, but to gain access to these episodes, it takes about five minutes to sign up. Go to SoFlowVegans.com community to see all of the perks and the way that your support supports us. So make sure you go to SoFlowVegans.com slash community to sign up, and then you'll be able to get access to these episodes. Today's episode was produced and edited by Sean Russell. Our associate producer is Lauda Gomez. To become a sponsor, please visit SoFlowVegans.com slash promo for more details.